Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Comeback Podcast with me, Mark Jennison. This week, I've got a special guest, Ben Gay III. How are you today, Ben? I'm fine, sir. How are you, Mark? Uh, well, you know, I'm amazing right now. It's a little cold here. We're trying to stay warm. I can tell you what, I just drove past my old dealership. I saw those guys out there freezing and moving cars. I don't miss that at all, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know you know how it is. But yeah. um, So awesome. I'm, I'm thrilled to meet you. I really appreciate you being here, taking time out of your schedule. Um, I, I've done some research on you and you know, and seeing what you've done and your books and all the stuff. And today, I just want to give you a chance to talk about whatever it is you want to talk about, your story, how you got here. Um, you know, like I said, from what I see, I see a great man who, who comments on everyone, no drama, no BS, very sincere, very to the point, talking about sales everywhere you go and, and very helpful. So I thank you for doing that for everybody. And I thank you for, uh, for, for showing me some love and support. Well, the pleasure is mine, Mark. As I told you, a lot of people helped me on the way up. And Perry Como, the old singer, once told me, he said, Ben, when you get to the top, it's your duty to send the elevator back down. And uh, I've tried to keep the elevator in the down position for many years. That's awesome. So talk about how you got up top. And let's just jump right into what's what's your background? I mean, obviously, you're a sales pro expert. How did you get here? Well, without boring you to death, I'll sort of run through the story and you interject anywhere you want to go. Oh. I started in commission selling uh, when I was 14. I actually started before that because I was always the top fundraiser, whether we were selling Krispy Kreme donuts in Atlanta or whatever. I always was the one who won the bicycle or got the trip to Washington, D.C. or what have you, but I, I didn't make any money out of that. I did, however, sneak a few Krispy Kreme donuts. <laughs> I found that if you opened the box and ate the bottom right when it didn't show in the window as missing. So I could, <laughs> I could feed myself and do good at the same time. But my first real job, and people, everybody uh, rolls their eyes when they talk about mowing lawns, was in Atlanta when I was 14. My father said, you can use the lawnmower. He saw me sitting around doing nothing. And this was before cell phones and iPads. I was just doing nothing. And uh, he said, I suggest you go out and mow some yards. So I did. Came back the first night. This is Atlanta in the summer. And uh, I said, I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> and, and he said, you know, what's, what's the problem? I said, I don't think I'm cut out for manual labor. I just hate doing it. And it's hot and it's sweaty and it's blah, blah, blah. And he said, all right, let's try selling. You go out and sell the job. And then have one of your friends do the work. And here's how he'd already told me this little secret. He said, you don't set a fee, tell them you'll mow their yard and they may pay you what it's worth. And I said, well, isn't that risky? And he said, no, they'll pay you more that way if you do a good job. Well, he was right. They paid me roughly double what I would have asked for. So uh, the trick was then he said, then you give your friend half of that. You have as much as if you'd mowed it. He has as much as he'd mowed it. You're getting paid for having the courage to go to the door and inspect the job and collect the money. So that's how I started. And rather quickly, I had in the growing season in Atlanta, I would have 20, 25 kids working for me. And I was racing around on my bicycle, selling jobs, inspecting and collecting the money and making more money in those months than many of the grown men on 
on our street made, and we lived in a nice neighborhood, two blocks out the front gate of East Lake Country Club, the, where the Tournament of Champions is played, Bobby Jones' home course. My point being, we weren't in the tenements. Right. And uh, But I was still in those months doing as well as about anybody, so I was hooked. Uh, I, through a mistake in judgment, I took a job at Macy's to uh, take returns back the day after Christmas and wound up staying a few years, became their youngest buyer in their then 100-year history. I was signing millions of dollars in purchase orders before I was legally old enough to sign a legal document of any kind. And, but even then, I spent as much time as I could out on the floor selling pots and pans and osterizers and, and whatever the, the thing of the day was, whatever our specials were. I just loved selling. Then I went on the road as a manufacturer's rep for one of the people who called on me at Macy's. He hired me away. And I worked from, briefly for my father as a salesman in the food brokerage business. And then September 15th, 1965, I saw a little ad. I was trying to put a wife through nursing school on not a whole lot of money. And she wasn't, she was a money drain. She wasn't making us any money, of course. Right. So I, for the first time and only time in my life, looked through the help wanted and business, I didn't know what a business opportunity was, but business opportunity section of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I saw a little ad that said, if you know anything about marketing plans and want to make more money, call this number. We were working a grocery store that day doing demonstrations. So I went into the phone booth outside the grocery store. And it, as luck would have it, it was the, the uh, phone booth that they stacked the carts up back then in in downtown Atlanta, you'd buy your groceries, come around, flash a number, and we'd put your groceries in the car, in, in your car for you for a tip, or they would, the box boys and so on. And then they would slam the cart into the, you know, the growing chain that you see in any grocery store. Well, that chain was based up against the uh, phone booth. So I dialed the number, a guy named Bill Dempsey, who became one of my great mentors, answered the phone. And I began the, hello, I'm Ben Gay with Brown Gay Food Brokerage Company, and I saw your ad, and perhaps you could tell me what it's about. And he said, well, come down here and, and uh, visit with me. Where are you? And I told him, he said, well, you're only a few blocks from me. I'm on West Peachtree Street. You're at the corner of West, the fork of West Peachtree and Peachtree. Come on down. I said, well, you know, I'd like to, but I'm Ben Gay of Brown Gay Food Brokerage. <laughs> 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 not, not alluding to the fact that the gay and brown gay food brokerage was my father, not me. And uh, so I said, you know, tell me a little bit about your opportunity. He said, Mr. Gay, I'm not the man standing in a phone booth answering want ads. He could, there's a sound of a phone booth. Your young listeners may never have been in a phone booth. Right. It sounds like you're inside a trash can, punctua punctuated every few minutes by the next cart slamming into the thing. <laughs> so... Uh, I, and he said, oh, and he said, I want you to stand in front of my desk. Again, he knew right where I was in 10 minutes, so don't ever dial this number again. And he hung up. So I said to my running buddy as he pulled around in the car, we were getting ready to leave. Uh, I said, Jimmy, quick. And I jumped in the car like Batman and Robin. And uh, off we went. He said, what are we doing? I said, I don't know, but I think we're going to make a lot of money. Went down there. It was no Wednesday noon. 
uh, September 15, 1965, walked into Suite 300. There was a little man sitting there, not a little man, but a man sitting there. It looked like he was there for the same job interview I was there for. And there was a few moments while the receptionist was telling uh, Mr. Dempsey that we were there. And I turned to the guy and said, hi, my name's Ben Gay. What's yours? <laughs> and he laughed. He said, Ben Gay? like the ointment, you know? And I said, uh, yeah, what, what's yours? You know, when your name is Ben Gay, I've heard all the Ben Gay jokes. I right. didn't need to hear another one. And he said, well, my name is Zig Ziglar. And I said, y your name's Zig Ziglar and you're making fun of Ben Gay? You got to be kidding me. <laughs> so we both joined the company. It was called Holiday Magic Cosmetics. It quickly became the largest MLM direct sales company in the world. Um, we both joined it the same day. And started going through the meetings and, and uh, learning our way up the ranks. And uh, I didn't make any money the first six months. Zig was 18 years older than I was, was already a cookware salesman in South Carolina. So he sort of took flight quicker than I did. Uh, but after about six months of not making any money, Bill Dempsey pulled me aside and said, uh, I don't want you coming to the meetings anymore. We had opportunity meetings five or six nights a week. And I said, why? And he said, well, you won't learn the scripts. So you don't bring to invite people. So you don't bring anybody. You don't learn the script from the front of the room. So you're of no help to us. And then when we say turn to the person who brought you here and ask how you can get started, you don't know the scripts for the closes. So you screw up other people's prospects. So I just don't want you coming around. Frankly, you're a little depressing. No one had ever called me depressing, but I've been called many things, but depressing isn't one of them. So I, long story short, I said, what do I do? He said, go learn the scripts and call me when you can stand in front of my desk and do them all. About 10 days, two weeks later, I stood in front of his desk. I did the introductory script when you asked somebody, you know, made contact with them and talked them into coming to the meeting. That, and I did the 45-minute word-for-word business opportunity script. Uh, that you would have given if you were standing at the front of the room, word for word, I nailed it. And then I sat down with a legal pad at his desk. There were six closes. If the first one worked, that was it. But if it didn't, there was a second one, a third one, a fourth one, where you draw the circles and, you know, which position best suits your needs. And I did those word for word. And he said, fine, welcome back. <clears throat> Try and bring somebody. A night or two later, I walked into the uh, hotel meeting room with five prospects the first five I've ever had there. I didn't give the meeting from the front of the room. Bill didn't trust me <laughs> yet. <laughs> but when the meeting was over, I turned to my prospects, started drawing circles, and all five of them bought. There was a delay with one or two because I had to go get the money or whatever, but they each put up $2,500, which adjusted for inflation is $25,000 uh, in today's money. And... Uh, I remember as they started writing their checks, I'm thinking, my God, what's happening here? I've, I've never seen this before. And uh, I so I gravitated over a few weeks to the front of the room. Then I gave the meetings every night. And then one Saturday morning, Bill Dempsey said to me, I'm having Zig speak to the sales organization. Would you like to do it? And I said, sure. Zig gets up first, does about an hour, and he was Zig, you know, funny, and biscuits, fleas, and pump handles told all the stories that he had up until that time. And then he sat down, and I worked for seven hours. As we finished up the meeting, I see Bill Dempsey and Zig in the back of the room talking, and I saw Bill reach into his pocket and pull out an envelope, hold it, hand it to Zig. I saw Zig mouth, thank you, and he put it in his pocket. And... uh 
as we're leaving the room, there was a coffee shop in the building. I uh, caught up with Zig and I said, Zig, let me buy you a cup of coffee. He said, well, Ben, I'd like that. So we sit down, have a cup of coffee. And I said, just to keep Dempsey honest, how much did he pay you? And, and I didn't know he paid him. It could have been a love letter for all I knew, but right. I just, I thought it was. And he says, well, let me check. So he looked at, pulled out the envelope, opened up. He said, yeah, he paid me uh, $300, which back then was $3,000. And uh, I said, uh, huh, okay. And uh, he said, how much did he pay you? And I said, well, he hadn't paid me yet. We're going to have lunch together and so on. He said, well, okay, well, you tell me if he doesn't treat you right. And I said, I will. I had just given my last free speech. I didn't know people would pay you to talk. I mean, I knew if you talked from the front of the room, you could money because you had more influence on your prospects than somebody else. But getting paid to talk was beyond my imagination. And so rather quickly, I gave my first of now over 5,000 paid talks to a group of about 200 people, the first 200 people of what now is about two and a half million people. And uh, I sort of, I, the way I describe my ride at Holiday Magic Cosmetics and the companies that we ran, the subsidiaries, was I walked up the ramp, not knowing where I was going, a door slammed behind me. I discovered I was on a rocket and it took off. Two years later, I was president of the company. I had won all sorts of national and international sales contests. And uh, just as I was uh, a buyer at Macy's, too young to sign an order, I was the president of Holly Magic, just between you and me, too young to be running it. <laughs> but, if, but if you can speak and get good people around you, uh, Donald Trump is sort of doing that now. He revs up the crowds, and then he's hiring people to run the government. I revved up the crowds and hired good people, those that weren't already there, uh, to run the accounting department, this department. So to this day, I've run, in that situation, I ran 125 companies scattered around the world. It was the five major product lines we had, and each of them were in 25 different countries. So it came to, I think it was 125 countries. And I would sit in board meetings for 125 different companies and uh, over the span of several days. And to this day, I can't read a balance sheet or profit and loss. Profit and loss, I can. You look down in the bottom right-hand corner, and if that number isn't in brackets, you probably still have your job. Right. Uh, if it's in brackets, you got trouble. Uh, and a balance sheet, I still don't get. If I've got a million dollars in the bank and I don't owe anybody any money, I don't understand how that balances, how that comes out to one million and one million. I think it'd be one one million to nothing. But, but I've given up trying to figure it out. I just ran the company and had a great time. So I went from a $91.42 investment with my business partner and running buddy, high school running buddy, James H. Rucker Jr., $91.42 to buy a little box of cosmetics to, oh, I'm quoting from memory, but roughly $3 million, $30 million in today's dollars in the bank in about three years. Wow all from the ability to sell, uh, to learn, and to speak. Speaking is the key to everything. I've taught it. I'm still running on with you. Ask me to tell you a story. Interrupt anytime you want. No, I'm fascinated. I love it. 
Okay. Uh, years later, I taught a program at San Quentin State Prison called People Builders. And uh, my concept there was to go in. I did. I met with the warden and I had a sales proposition. I was no longer with Holiday Magic. I was retired at 30. Big mistake. Any of your listeners, if you can retire at 30, don't. Uh, the uh, devil finds things to do with your hands and mind and so on, get you in trouble. Uh, keep working. But I retired. And so then I'm sitting in my home, in my office up on top of the house, right on San Francisco Bay. And I'm looking across the inlet and there behind a, a hill, there's a San Rafael Richmond bridge and sticking up was a smokestack. And I'd never thought about it before, but I realized that's San Quentin. So I thought, I wonder if I couldn't do something over there that that would be fun. So I went over, met with a guy, went over, and uh, gave him my presentation for people builders. And I said, I want to teach it once a week and sort of do a encounter type. Scared straight at Rawway State Prison was a big deal, where they brought in people and scared them so they yeah. didn't want to get to prison. And I said, well, this is sort of, he, the warden said, well, what is it exactly? I said, it's scared straight, but the young white millionaire will scare them into not wanting to come back to prison and how to get out and stay out and so on. And he said, all right, I like that. So I gave him a figure. I don't know what it was, but it was, it was a pretty good consulting fee. And he buzzed somebody and in came a lady with a, a stack of papers about a foot high. I'm not big on details. I'm a typical salesman. So I looked at the stack of papers and said, what's that? And he said, well, you just fill these out. Then I'll push it through and, and, uh, and we'll, we'll get this thing approved. I said, <clears throat> besides filling out the papers, how long is this going to take? And he said, oh, I, I'm, on, I'm on it. He said, Ben, I really like the idea. I can get it done in a couple of years. And I said, a couple of years? <laughs> you know, <laughs> who do you think you're talking to? And I said, <clears throat> on a lark, I said, what if I did it for free? And he said, we could start this afternoon. And an hour or so later, after a couple of announcements over the speaker, I was standing in front of several hundred uh, interesting people, telling them why they should come to the class every Friday night at 6 o'clock, give up their movie, their dinner, because that was right at feeding time, their movie, their dinner, and their after their evening of freedom and television watching, and stay with me till 6 in the morning, 12 hours nonstop, and I will tell you how life really works. And a couple of hundred signed up. We did it in a 12-week cycle, and many of them were with me for the whole five years I was there. Others went through it and got out. Here's the good news, and I'm talking really about sales now, not prison reform. Right. I taught them how to speak to, to develop confidence. They can, from the front of the room, I knew what it did for me when I'd started just at that point about seven years earlier. And uh, uh, I thought maybe it could do the same for them. So I got people who couldn't write their name to read and write and stand in front of hundreds of people and speak once a week, or a lot of them spoke once a week, and all of them just speak at their graduation and so on. When I went to San Quentin, the recidivism rate was 67%. Recidivism means you get out of prison and you're back. 67% of the people that got out of San Quentin and throughout the whole California penal system were back in prison within two years. The uh, recidivism rate among the people's builder, people builders graduate was less than 5%. So we made a definite change in or help make. They had to do the work. And I'll spot you this. A person who would give up their 12 hours of their time and be abused by a white guy in a fancy suit, uh, 
the person who would do that probably isn't your bottom of the barrel uh, convict. But we had a lot that were, I don't know how you could get any lower. That's where I, San Quentin, he wasn't in my class. I had to go to his cell to meet him. But San Quentin is where I met Charlie Manson. I spent oh, probably nine hours with him locked in his cell on three different vis visits, three uh, times straight. A little aside, since I mentioned Charlie Manson's name, in his cell, he had one book. And he said it was his Bible, and he couldn't have built the uh, his family, the Manson family, without it. It was How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale <laughs> Carnegie. So even murderers and the lowest of the low can benefit from the type of material that uh, you and I promote and push to, to people. I was told one time that's the, that's the only book you need to be successful. Uh, in general, yeah, you may learn have to learn skills, right. you know, how how to sell or what have you. But uh, that I haven't read a book since that added any great amount to my to my uh, knowledge base on that subject. I, that pretty much it's like the strangest secret. The day I met Bill Dem Dempsey, when I left his office, he gave me an old scratched up record. For your listeners, that's a round, flat thing. I think they're making a comeback now, but a, a round, flat thing you put on a turntable. An old scratch-up record of, called The Strangest Secret by Earl Nightingale. And it's within, I can see it from where I'm sitting right now, the same record he handed me. And he handed me an old beat-up copy of Think and Grow Rich. I listened to uh, Think and Grow Rich, uh, read Think and Grow Rich several times right off the bat, but I have read it once a year, every every year since that happened, which is about 50 years ago, and I swear by it, and Earl Nightingale's uh, The Strangest Secret, I have listened to, and I have it on DVD or video, uh, at least once a month all those years, and it, people say, well, did that work? Well, I was a young kid in his 20s, and by the time I was 25, Earl Nightingale was the voice of Holiday Magic and worked for me, and Napoleon Hill was my personal consultant and worked for me the last two or three years of his life. So they used to both kid me, and they say, you know, Ben, people question our material. You're living proof it works. You, you read my book or you listened to my thing, and now we work for you. How's that? That's <laughs> so, awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. I had uh, one day in the in the house in Marin. I had uh, it happened frequently. We had a big house, and so we had lots of guests stay with us, and so on. It was easier to have a a, vi a visiting fireman stay with me than drive a few miles into town to pick them up at the motel and all that. They do. I just parked them there. So one weekend, by coincidence, wasn't a great plan. We had as house guests Earl Nightingale, Napoleon Hill, and J. Douglas Edwards, who also worked for me, and I wrote the book, Sales Closing Power, from his material. He never wrote a book, so the only book he wrote I did with him or for him. But I had the three of them as house guests, and I've told people that over the years, you know, they were there and they go, oh my God, what was it like? Because they're picturing us sitting around cross-legged in a circle in white robes saying profound things to each other. And I said, well, we were just guys trying to make a living. Earl's trying to save his company, Nightingale Conant almost went under two or three times. Napoleon Hill had never been a big success until uh, Clem Stone, W. Clement Stone. Clem Stone got a hold of Think and Grow Rich and made it required reading for everybody. And Doug Edwards was like anybody else. You know, when you die, you become legendary. Back then, he was a sales trainer, to, uh, trainer trying to get a few more gigs. 
So the three of us are there, and they said, all right, what do you remember, the one thing about that weekend? I said, none of them could shoot pool. They were the, probably collectively the worst three people around a pool table I've ever seen. And they, no, 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 what did you say? I said, guys, they were friends. We probably watched football. We went out on the boat. It's a, went out on the boat, by the way. We had a big yacht, but went out on the cabin cruiser, the Holiday Girl on San Francisco Bay, and I hit a swell. I was in the Coast Guard, so I should know better. I hit a swell. Earl was standing up on the bow looking out over the uh, San Francisco skyline. Hit a swell I didn't see coming. It was a trough, a reverse swell. The boat just almost dropped out of sight for a few minutes, and when it came up, Earl was gone. And I... I I panic because of the general situation, but you know, where's my friend Earl? And I see this leg hung around one of the transoms. And uh, so we stopped the engines, run up, and there he is hanging by his knee had caught as he went under the railing. And there he is with a bourbon and uh, soda in his hand. A lot of it had spilled, but there was still <laughs> color in it. He did, he did not spill it all, and it wasn't full of seawater. So we pulled him back on, and a few minutes later, I said, Earl, I am so sorry. My God, what if I'd killed uh, uh, Earl, the great Earl Nightingale? And he said, Ben, the Japs didn't get me on Pearl Harbor. You're not getting, Ben Gay's not going to get me on San Francisco Bay. It was the first time I realized Earl was on the Arizona, December 7, 1941, when it was hit. Wow. And the only reason he got off, he was up in the superstructure doing something. And when it leaned, uh, you know, about to capsize, that put him over the water instead of over the deck. So when he jumped, he hit water, burning water, <laughs> but water. And uh, that saved his life. So he was one of the few men that came off of the Arizona alive. And I, for me, that was a turning point two weird things. I was conceived December 7th, 1941. My dad was in the Navy, came home for a weekend leave. Pearl Harbor was hit. He had to go back immediately, figuring they may never see each other again. They decided to try and make a baby. So I was conceived on December 7th, 1941. Earl was saved on December 7th, 1941, which enabled him to go forth and write and record The Strangest Secret, which literally changed my life. I got off on all that because you were talking about it may be the only book Right. How to win friends and influence people you have to read. If you do, if your listeners do nothing else, uh, watch, listen to, get a hold of the strangest secret by Earl Nightingale at the Nightingale Conant Corporation. I don't know what it costs. It's not much, but it doesn't make any difference what it costs. It can change your life. And just like Thinking Grow Rich claims to have created many millionaires, I guarantee you, Thinking Grow uh, uh, the strangest secret did the same. For so many of us, it's Earl took life and boiled it down into I think it's twenty six minutes and didn't leave much out. So that was a long answer to a short question. I can go on. And <laughs> I mean, I just wrote that down. I'm actually going to read that too. I've never, I've never read it. Um, no, man, I'm I'm fascinated. I I, I love. It. We talked for almost a half an hour, and I've been in tune. I mean, I love hearing stories like this, but. I, try, I typically try to keep these about 40 minutes. So let's just get a couple questions. I'm going to love to, I'm actually going to bring you back on and, and, and try to build a relationship and a friendship with you. But I want to ask you a couple questions right now. Uh, maybe right. take the next 10 minutes. What type of advice do you have? I, I do have a lot of network marketing MLM guys that follow me. So that was kind of your big, 
was that your main sale? I mean, you didn't sell cars, you didn't sell real estate, stuff like that, right? No, I, everything since then has been training other people how to do it. I've sold cars and real estate and timeshare and so on while testing scripts that I have written. Okay. Uh, but I've never had a license to do it. I've sold probably as much timeshare directly and indirectly as anyone in the world. And, uh, uh, yet I've never had a timeshare license or ticket or what have you, and the same with cars or anything else. The uh, So the question is, what lesson do I have for them? Yeah. Uh, the uh, If I was going to go into uh, selling today as a young man, I would find, I'll tell you how to solve most of your problems in selling. Find a quality product or service that is competitively priced, doesn't have to be the cheapest, but you don't want to be stupid either, and spend your days uh, talking to qualified people about that product or service. Uh, today, I, I know almost nothing about it, but I read constantly. If I were a young salesman, I would be taking a hard look at solar, for instance. And the reason is solar has finally, after years of it was going to be you know the future of the world and it wasn't for 20 or 30 years it's like Kissinger said of Argentina Argentina is the wave of the future and always will be <laughs> so solar for years has been the wave of the future and I never saw it happening suddenly I see it happening and it's going to be on within the lifetime of your listeners many of them I know they're younger than I am probably uh, it's going to be on every house and business in America Everyone, eventually. And soon, you won't be able to build a house if it doesn't have solar on top. So I'd start looking at that. And I'd, I'm not affiliated with any solar company. I do some coaching for people who sell it. But as I said, I know almost nothing about it. But it's one of those things that sort of, you know, I, I see things bubbling up and I go, oh, I've seen that before. Uh, that, that's going to take off. I was in the early stages of MLM. Nutribio had been a company before us, and the owner of the company I worked for, William Penpatrick, was a Nutribio distributor, as was Jim Rohn, as was Jim's boss, Bill Bailey. They all came up through Nutribio, but it faded away, and I joined the, the second wave. Well, the first wave hadn't really broken, but I got on the first wave. And back then, I would say to anybody, get an MLM. I turned $91.42 into $5 million, millions and millions and millions more over the years. But that's what I started with. So I, I couldn't be any more excited about it. Now, there are more MLM companies than we had distributors. So <laughs> some, of the, some of the allure has come off of it. But find something like that, a coming wave, something that's not, you don't want to be the, the um, point of the spear, but the coming wave of something that you're excited about. Quality product, competitively priced, selling, spending your time with qualified people, qualified financially, spiritually, whatever it is to qualify them for that uh, business. And then find out within that organization the, who is the best top salesperson and do what they do, assuming they're honest, do what they do. And if they have scripts, learn them. People say, oh, I don't want to work on a script. All professionals work on scripts, whether they know it or not. Because if you've been in selling more than 30 days, you tend to say the same thing over and over again. So you're on a script now. You don't have to, we don't have to fight about that. Uh, the question is, is it a good script? Did you drift into it through laziness and slothfulness? Or was it crafted where every single word is where it's supposed to be for maximum impact? And then, in the beginning, come early, stay late, 
work on weekends if that's not necessary, uh, if, if that is necessary. Get your traction and momentum going. Once my career at Holiday Magic took off, there was no stopping me. I mean, it almost was, you'd have had to kill me or, or smash the computer that had the records in it or something. Once I got traction, I was long gone. So find yourself a situation like that. In seminars, I talk about the, the people, car salesmen. I frequently have rooms full of them. Did 250 up at Lake Tahoe not too long ago. Uh, there's the guy there selling Rolls Royces or whatever the quality brand is in your mind now. But this one day, I had a little clump of poorly dressed salespeople all gathered together right in the front left-hand corner of the room. And one of them asked a question. You know, We're having trouble, blah, blah, blah. I said, what do you sell? And he said, Yugo's. Now, if you remember Yugo's, it was the cheapest car in the world for a reason. The uh, rear window had a defroster in it so your hands wouldn't get cold while you were pushing it. And so I said to them, why, of all the things you could be selling, why in God's name are you selling Yugo's? And the dealer's sitting there. I could see his eyes getting bigger and bigger. I said, don't you have a Ford dealership, a Chevrolet dealership, or, you know, what, whatever was hot at the time, VW, whatever? Well, yeah. I said, well, go to work for him. Leave this room determined not to sell Yugos anymore. And the, the owner came up and he later, and he, he wasn't happy with me, but he said, you're telling the truth. And he said, I'm trying to figure out how to get out of my dealership. You know, this isn't working. So don't hang a big, heavy weight on your foot when you start out. Make it as easy on yourself as you possibly can, and don't reinvent the wheel. Somebody's doing it right. Find out who that is and model them until you can do better. I love that. That's awesome. So, Ben, this day and age, or in your career, in your life right now, what are you working on? I mean, you, you probably don't need to work, right? But I see all the time. I assume doing Facebook has worked for you, and you got your books, you got stuff going on. Yeah, face, Facebook is something I do while I'm supposed to be doing something else. You know, <laughs> writing, writing is hard. Right. I'm not. I'm not one of those who sits down and whips out a book every other day. Uh, I hate writing. I love once I start. I like the process, but I hate to start a writing project. So if you see me on Facebook, there's some reasons I'm really on Facebook. I booked three or four seminars, ninety-five hundred dollars a piece last week as a result of being on Facebook. So it has its place uh, in my life. But mainly, if you see me on Facebook, you can assume I'm avoiding writing. <laughs> so, and it, and it looks, Gigi, if she comes into the office, sees me at a computer typing, she thinks I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, so it, it's frequently Facebook. But for a lot of people, <laughs> Facebook is a huge waste of time. Unless you have a, talk, you know, like we were talking about earlier, a, a quality product service, you know who your market is and, and you're targeting, you're really, you're really up to something. Uh, an old Southern comedian used to say, "You are nude when you're when you're uh, posing in an art class. You are naked when you don't have any clothes on. But when you're naked, you don't have any clothes on, and you're up to something. When when you're on Facebook, you ought to be up to something, not, not lonely, not looking to outwit somebody. When you can make a contribution that might come back." to pay you back and it's, or sell something immediately. When somebody asks a question on Facebook or whatever, I look for ways to link them up to the two or three places that have all my material, my own website. Uh, eBay has a website 
where I have a good working relationship with those people, and uh, they sell at slightly less prices and so on. So, but I'm up to something, or avoiding work, one or the other. <laughs> And when you bump into me somewhere, as a guy did last night at the gathering, he said, uh, Ben, what are you doing now? I said, I hate that question. I hate it. And he said, I'm oh, sorry, why? And I said, because everybody else, you know, what are, what are you doing? They always have some exciting new answer. My answer has been the same for 50 years. I sell. I talk about selling. I write about selling. And that's it do 24 seminars a year, travel around uh, the world to a degree. Most of it's in the United States for economic reasons on their part. But uh, travel around the world, do 24 speeches a year, and I'm doing exactly what I was doing 50 years ago in Holiday Magic, hopefully better. So if it's not broke, don't fix it. No, I don't see any reason to. And all my mentors, if you look at, go to my LinkedIn or whatever and see the mentors, I, by accident, I walked up the ramp and the door slammed. I have worked with the greats of the uh, last half of the last century and, and up, some of them still working today. The only reason I'm working today and most of them are gone is I was 22, uh, Earl was 18, I think, years older than I was, Zig, 18 years older. Uh, Jim Rohn and that gang from Nutribio, they were all 12 years older than I am and so on. So they've gone on to their great reward. And I'm, as I was introduced somewhere the other day, I'm the last man standing, not because of tremendous health. I was just the youngest one. Okay. Well, listen, Ben, where can these guys find – I really appreciate you coming on. I want to get you back on. I'm, I'm sure there's much more to the story. I mean, just as a personal – I love hearing it. I mean, I was honestly fascinated for the past 40 minutes. So – where can my listeners that maybe don't even know who you are that are going to get exposed to you, where can they find you? And uh, go ahead and give me a parting word for, for them, if you don't mind. Okay. Well, if they want to get hooked up with me, get on our list, we don't harass you. In fact, I don't send out enough stuff. But if you want to get some free tips from time to time and where I'm going to do a seminar, if it's open to the public, uh, it is posted to those people who have registered at my website where you'll also see the products. It's www.b as in Ben. F as in Frank, G as in gay, the numeral 3.com, BFG3.com. And uh, if you want to uh, maybe not have the, some of the free benefits that go with that, that site, but get my materials at a discount, they're on eBay at stores, like a store on a street with an S on the end, stores.ebay.com forward slash Ronzoni Books. That's all one word, but it has a capital R and a capital B. R-O-N-Z-O-N-E Books. B-O-O-K-S. Stores.ebay.com slash Ronzoni Books. And there you'll see everything I have. And as I said, they discount it. But uh, wherever, I would suggest you get in touch. We're talking about all the great books, Think You Grow Rich, uh, how, I went, how to Win Friends and Influence People, etc. In the sales world, the closer's material is the strongest thing ever written. And that's not my ego. That's 40-some-odd uh, years since the first book was originally published in its original form to the revisions I made in the last 30,000 that showed up uh, a few weeks ago. I'm, I'm still revising from time to time. And... 
the eBay site, there's that three-book set, Closers Part 1, Closers Part 2, and Sales Closing Power, the book I wrote for J. Douglas Edwards. And Doug Edwards was the foundation of modern selling. All of us in selling, in, in fact, a lot of your listeners will smile as they go through the books because they will see the clothes they thought was brand new that they either made up or heard from somebody or whatever. I haven't heard a brand new clothes, Mark, in 30 years. <laughs> it's all been written. Some of them have different names now, but it was, I saw somebody the other day talking about it, and I do this, and I call it the so-and-so clothes. Well, 40-some-odd years ago, J. Douglas Edwards called it the alternate of choice clothes. It's all been done. It's all written down. People say to me, I'd give anything in the world to know what you know about selling. I say, i got good news for you. For 60-some-odd bucks, you know everything I know. It's, I wrote it in three books. That's awesome. I love it. Well, listen, Ben, I appreciate you getting on here with me. Uh, it, it's Like I said, it's a wonderful time. I was fascinated the whole time. That was the quickest 40 minutes I've ever done yet so far on my podcast where I was actually entertained the whole time, so I super appreciate it. And uh, I thank you for being here, man. Well, got lots more stories, Mark. If nothing else, I'm a storyteller inviting you back anytime. Absolutely. You have a great day, sir. Same to you. Take care. Bye. Bye.